Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. And so today I'm going to read 12 verses out of Mark chapter 2. A familiar story for some of you that grew up in church. If you're brand new today, it's a story about a pretty happening church service in someone's house. And it probably could have turned into the most awkward church service in history. Uh, God saved the day. But we're going to read about it. And essentially what I want to talk to you guys today is we've been talking about building fires. And we talked about God being able to do it again. And we've talked about changing atmospheres and all these different ideas. And today I really feel like God just said that we're going to finish up this series really uh, by declaring the type of community that we're going to be. So if it's okay, on our birthday party, I want to just declare a little bit of who we are and what we're going to be. And we're going to be people, uh, we're in the people business, and so we're going to be people builders. People builders. And if you have a title today, you can hashtag it if you want, but I'm going to call it For Others. For Others. For Others. I believe that God has called us to live a life for others. Well, if I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod, maybe, come on. Presbyterian eyebrow raise. Who give me a Latter-day Saint deep breath? Come on, give me something today. Uh, we're going to have a good time today. Uh, if you get bored in the next few moments, I just want you to know you're a boring person. Um, so I'm not a boring preacher. I did have a sense of humor before I became a Christian, and it didn't get raptured when I got saved. Still with me. And so uh, I'm going to tell some jokes today, if that's all right. Um, I think God has a sense of humor. Psalms 2 says that God laughs at his enemies. That's a good sense of humor. I laugh at comedians, not my enemies. So uh, we're going to tell some stories, all right? And um, I do believe that God's going to do something special today. Uh, so if you got your Bible, Mark chapter 2, and let's read together 12 verses today, starting in verse 1. And I want to talk to you about four others. And basically my thesis is, is uh, <clears throat> living for others is risky business. It's risky business. Ready to go? <clears throat> Mom's ready. And again... He entered into Capernaum, and some days later, verse 1, he heard, uh, they heard that Jesus was in a house. He was in a house, he was in the house, and immediately, many people gathered to where he was. So there was no longer room to receive other people into the house, not even at the door of the house. And he preached the word to them, and they came to him, bringing a paralyzed, a paralytic, who was carried by how many men? Not one, not two, not three, but these four were for others. They're for others. Four men. And they could not come near because of the crowd. It was too, it was too full. So they actually hopped up onto the, the roof of the house, and they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, say with me, broken through. These four guys broke through the, the lid of the ceiling and let down the man who was paralyzed on his mat. When Jesus saw their faith, I want to point out here, I know this is a good observation, pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward. But just notice here, there's getting ready to be a miracle, but the miracle did not happen because of the person that needed it. The miracle was actually a, a byproduct of somebody else's faith. And I want you to know that our community is committed to being believers. And maybe you came today expecting nothing. We made up our mind before we came this morning that we're not going to meet you there. Uh, we, have, we actually brought some extra belief for you. Is that okay? Who's got some leftover belief for somebody else today? All right. So it says that Jesus saw... The four men's faith. He said to the paralyzed man because of it, Son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes who were sitting in the house, notice that the house was full, but it was full of religious people. Why does this man speak blasphemous things like this? Who can forgive God uh, sins but God alone? But immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit, he reasoned within himself, and he said, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? What is easier? What's easier to say to the paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven? Or how about this? Miracle. Rise. Grab your bed. Come on. Grab your futon. <laughs> Who remembers futons? Come on. Most un uncomfortable mattress on the earth. It's like sleeping on a grill. Let's keep going. They, uh, he said, grab your bed and walk out from the presence of them all. And he did, and they glorified God. Watch what they said about the early church. They, they, they got done with the church service, and they, they were amazed. They were amazed. Who's ever left church not amazed? It's two honest people in here. I have left church like that was the furthest thing from amazing. 
That was the most down-to-earth, normal thing I've ever seen. Who's ever left church going, man, I've never seen anything like that before? That was the description of this service. So can we pray that over today's service? Lord, I just thank you for everyone in the room today. I thank you for those that know you passionately and love you and those that are looking for answers and maybe looking for hope and truth. I thank you that you're a God that knows where all of us are, that you know how to find us and where to find us. I thank you that you care deeply about us and you're committed passionately to us. I ask you to meet us where we are today. Let us have an awesome time in your presence. Do whatever you want to do. And we do pray that you bless the Los Angeles Lakers this year. In Jesus' name, all the Christians said amen. I always lose a little steam there at the end. <clears throat> um, there's some things that are risky. How many of you have ever been a, maybe seen a video that was kind of, kind of, it's like a risky situation? I've uh, seen people walking out on ice, uh, frozen lake. I think it's kind of risky. Risk literally means to uh, be exposed to the chance of an injury or a loss, a hazard, a hazardous, dangerous chance. Risky. I was thinking about risky things like, and for me, kind of the first things that came to my mind is I think it's kind of risky at a fast food restaurant to change your order after you've ordered. You ever been there before? You ever seen the person working the register, their circuits fry? When you say everything I just told you was a lie. I don't want to order that at all. I want to get something different. And they have this panic look on their face like, I don't know what to do. They call for backup. Come on, who's been there before? Code red, code red. <laughs> and they're trying to change the order for you. That's a risky scenario when you change your order at a drive-thru of a fast food restaurant. Uh, I think it's a risky, risky business when you, uh, when you say hi to somebody at the beginning of a long flight. That's dangerous. It's like, do I want to be a Christian or do I want to sleep? That is risky business. I think, it's, I think it's, it's risky to not ask the most important question that you need to ask somebody if you want to propose to them one day. This is probably it's just as important as what you believe about God and what you want to do with our, with our kids and how we're going to educate our kids. I think one of the most important questions to a dating relationship is asking that person, what temperature do you like the air around you? Because you could be signing up for a life of being frozen or boiling to death. My wife is an extremist. It's either at night, the, the, the thermostat goes up to like 87, and in the morning, it's like 51. And I'm using a little bit of hyperball there, people, okay? So, like, man, I'm judging my wife. Come on, settle down. I'm just saying, it's hot or it's, come on. Anybody like that? Extremist. She gets in the car. It's like full AC. And then there's a little bit of moisture from the ocean. It starts snowing in our car. <laughs> just complete, crazy, just Ask them, what temperature do you like there? It's risky to not know what they like. Because you're above the sheets, they're beneath the sheets. There's seven layers of separation. <laughs> I'm convinced that many people have no idea. It's just risky things in life. Like, like, it's risky when you get on Netflix time. Who's ever been a part of Netflix math? When you're laying in bed, you're like, I got to work tomorrow. But I got 47 minutes left of me. <laughs> I'm going to sleep after this next season and you binge watch an entire season I don't know if you've ever gone in for a handshake it's risky when you find a hugger I've javelined a couple people because I was going in for just a casual handshake they were going in for a holy hug and I speared them in the gut it's risky there are some risky scenarios in life, and um, I was thinking about just, how, you know, kind of thinking about the funny nuances of this, but really, a lot of the Bible is pretty risky, like people making some risky decisions. Faith is risky. Can we be honest? Like, thinking about some of the exploits of the Bible, like building a boat when it's never rained. Come on now. It's like, hey, we're investing in, we're inve we're investing in boats. This could be the next big thing. Come on, can you imagine trying to invest in a stock of ships when it's never rained? But God's risky. Charging a giant with a slingshot, come on, when you're a homeschool redhead. Joel Faust. Um, kidding, I kid, I kid. I'm just, it's risky. So many risky things. I feel like it's throughout the Bible. It's risky for, uh, for these four guys to bring a paralyzed man 
and literally not be able to get, get a, visible, uh, a visible encounter with Jesus. And so they literally break someone's, they break someone's house, and they, they tear a hole in the ceiling. I, I thought it would be kind of funny. I was, never thought about this before. I taught out of this passage many times. But I never thought about how, how crazy this would have been if Jesus wouldn't have done a miracle. Would that not have been one of the most awkward services? He was teaching, you know. House was packed. And then all of a sudden, there's a thump on the roof. Eyewitnesses say, come on. <laughs> if the news was covering this, can you imagine? Local Bible study at house. <laughs> Full to the brim, had, had shingles falling on people in the Bible study. While the small group leader was teaching, and uh, they report uh, no injuries, but they lowered a paralyzed man through the ceiling of the roof, and the small group leader looked at the man shocked. Homeowners pressing charges. If the miracle didn't happen, it would have been an awkward story. But I love this story because it's about a paralyzed man, and it's about four others. It's a paralyzed man, and it's about four others. And I was thinking about this, that really, I think this really encapsulates our church, Christianity, who we want to be, is we believe that we live in a world full of paralyzed people. Now, a paralytic or paralysis is a condition that you lose feeling, or you have no feeling. Paralysis can be caused by a disease, it can be caused by an accident, it can be caused by trauma, or you can be born with a condition with a spinal or brain type of injury. I was thinking about how so many people have no feeling of faith. They have no sensitivity to who God is. And I think it's because some people were born in atmospheres that no one ever believed in God. So they were born into a, 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 a state of paralysis spiritually. And I think many, I think way more people actually went to churches or were surrounded by Christians that were so reckless with their faith that they dropped spiritual babies. Follow me today. And I think that the injuries that we took on as kids, hearing people say all the right things but living all kinds of the wrong way. Nothing is more dangerous than someone that says the right things but lives the wrong way. Can I get a good amen? And I think if we're not careful here, many people, they're like, look, I have no feeling when it comes. You say Jesus, I have no good feeling in my body. You say Christian, I have no good sense in my body. And that's what, when you lose feeling, it, it affects your ability to walk. And guess what? God's number one priority on the earth is to help his kids walk with him. We say things like, you know, people ask me all the time, do you exercise? I say, no, but I walk with the Lord every day. Come on. That's what the only exercise I get. I'm at an age, I'm 35, and I'm at an age now I'm doing whatever it takes for the perfect body, except eat less and exercise. Come on. And, and I was thinking about this, though, is, is that literally they said this, this paralyzed man, he couldn't walk. And I do believe this is the number one thing that God wants for all of us. I said it last week, but God doesn't want grandkids. He wants children. He wants direct access. He doesn't want to love you in the afternoon on Sundays and send you back with your parents. He wants full custody. Jesus went to the cross to get full custody. I feel like preaching today, man. I think sometimes we think, well, man, like Jesus went to the cross, so I go to heaven and like, and like go to church on Easter and Christmas is awesome. But I want you to know that's fine. It's a great starting, starting point. But I think that God is so good because he actually wants to know you every day of your life. He's the weird dad like me that stares at you when you're sleeping. Who loves their kids the most when they're sleeping? Come on, be honest. They're the best. My kids are my favorite when they're sleeping. I'm like, oh, perfect. I believe this, that there's people that have a uh, kind of in a, in a perpetual state of paralysis because they have no feeling in their faith. They don't. They don't know God in an intimate way, a personal way. They can't sense. They can't feel. And it's weird because they go to church service like this. Maybe you're, maybe you're in this boat. And I want to be honest. I think all of us are either born with spiritual paralysis or I think that all of us are religion based in a condition that we had a bad experience with church or with Christians or with religion. And it literally dropped us in some way that created long-term damage to feel. Are you hearing me today? And I love it because there's four, there's four guys that actually care enough about a guy that can't feel himself. That they actually, uh, they, they, they got involved because there were four other guys that were living for others. Plan words there. You catch that later. <laughs> Crack myself up sometimes. 
I, uh, I was thinking about how the type of church we want to be is we want to be a church that has a heart for people that can't feel. I don't ever want to celebrate the strength in our legs or our backs so much that we forget about people that have no feeling. And I want to just let you know today, I, I, I want you, if you're here and you're like, Mark, I, to be honest, I've never felt the presence of God. I've never felt the love of God. I've never experienced the sensation of being loved by God. I want you to know I'm not saying this is bad or good or I'm not saying that you're better or worse. I'm just stating a fact. I do believe that we live in a world that is full of many people that have either never had feeling with God or they had it at some point, but some traumatic thing happened. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was... Maybe someone dying, a tragedy. What happened was the trauma was so blunt force that it almost damaged your spiritual spinal cord. And it's affected the ability to actually sense and have feeling when God wants to touch you. Are you hearing me? But it's weird because you walk into services like this, you're like, why am I getting, it's weird, I'm just getting so emotional, like thinking about everything that's happy and joyful. It's always funny when people that don't know who Jesus is come into an environment that he's in. Because they're like, I don't know why, I just felt so good today. It's like when you watch the singing shows and they sing like, God bless them, they, they sing like, uh, I don't know, a worship song, like a, like a church song. And all of a sudden, Paul Abdul's crying. Gwen Stefani's wiping her eyes. Blake Shelton's like, you know. And it's like, I was just getting a little bit emotional when you were singing that. It's, you know what it was? It's because that song touched God's heart. And whenever the heart of God is touched, his presence is revealed. And so some of you are like, you have no idea, but you're like, I don't really have any feeling during the week. But when I come here on Sundays, I start feeling stuff again. And I like it. I kind of like it. I kind of like the way it feels. I feel warm inside. I feel loved. I feel cared about. I feel like God is interested in me. I feel like people care about me. And I want you to know, I want to declare from the very first year of our church on our birthday, the type of community that we're going to be is we're going to be a community that values all life, all life, tall, short, black, white, every nationality, every social, economic people group. I don't care if you, if you think they look the part or they don't. Are you hearing me today? We will love cross the board. And I want to go even further to say that not only that, we want to be a community that's like these four guys that are four others. If we're going to be a people, people builder, a people building church, someone asked me recently, said, Mark, your church is growing really fast, and uh, it, it's grown by 45% in the last three Sundays. And they say, are you going to have a big church? I'm like, I don't know if we'll have a big church, but I do know that we're going to have big people. If you grow big people, I'm convinced that God will, will, do, will grow great churches. And that's what we intend on doing, because we're going to be people that help grow other people. So here's what, I want to give you five things today to really write down that's going to encapsulate who we are, is I believe that we're going to be people that are for others. If we're going to live for others, first thing I want to just state is, if we're going to live this way, is we have to, number one, realize that we have to meet, we have to meet people where they are. I love these four guys because it doesn't say if this paralyzed man was born paralyzed, if he had a traumatic event, if he was in a car accident or a donkey accident. <sighs> He, we don't know what caused the paralysis. We just know that he was paralyzed, and we know that four people actually cared enough about him to go to wherever he was and meet him in the condition that he was in. I believe that real Christianity, when you're following Jesus, we meet people where they are, how they are. And I want to say this very upfront. I believe that you don't have to change to come to God. I'll say it again. Well, I would like, I'd go, look, a preacher, I would go to church. I'd like getting, I'd get like, more serious with God, but I just don't want to change certain things in my life. I want to let you know you don't have to. Really? I don't think you have to wash off in any sink before you hop in the shower. Never once have I been, I'm so dirty right now, I'm going to get in my sink, and I'm going to scrub myself for two hours before I get in the shower. What I've learned is there's qualities and properties about getting under the shower that actually disregard the need of going in the sink. And I think that what religion tries to do is it tries to clean yourself up. I got to get a little bit cleaner before I start going to church, dude. I just got like, to like stop looking at this, stop thinking about that, and stop saying that, and stop acting on this. I want you to know you could never clean yourself up clean enough to deserve the love of God's loving shower. We don't. 
what we do, yeah, if you're going to clap, give him a good hand clap in here. We're clapping for God today. It's all right. Is we got to understand this, that we're going to be a community like Jesus, like these four other guys, is that we're going to meet people where they are, how they are. And we're letting them know that God loves you enough to meet you where you are. I want you to know that God is not intimidated by darkness. We think that America is dark today. I want you to know that America is like a very saintly continent compared to the world of antiquity. We're not in Philippi. We're not in, we're not in, in Colossae. We're not in, uh, we're not in Rome. <laughs> we don't have the temple of Dianus on the street corner with 10,000 prostitute, uh, temple prostitutes in the, in the building doing all kinds of de- demonic dark practices to try to touch the heart of our pagan god. We, we don't have, I mean, we live in a dark country, but like I'm saying, this is not dark compared to the world that the Bible is written in. They say that Christianity in the early in ancient world was like moral antiseptic. That wherever the gospel was preached, the morality level always increased. They say that Christianity in the ancient world was like an island of righteousness surrounded by an ocean of sin. I want you, God is not threatened by darkness. He's not threatened by dysfunction. He meets us where we are, how we are. Would you say that today? Write your notes. He meets me where I am, how I am. Where we get in trouble is that we believe that God wants, wants you to stay there the rest of your life. And you're like, well, God loves me so much. He meets me where I am, how I am. He does. But it'd be like you finding your kids sneaking out of the house as a toddler, crawling into your front yard, going through the grass, onto the sidewalk, and hanging out with his toy set in the middle of the street. Now, there might not be any cars right now, but that father knows, even if there's no cars on the road, eventually, if my kid stays there long enough, love doesn't go, well, I'm just being an open-minded parent. Come on, there's a home for people like this that let their kids play in the street. Great parents say, look, I'll meet you in the road, but I'm going to pick you up. And I'm going to bring you back to safety. (laughs) Yeah, that's what he does. That's what he does. And so we're going to be for others by doing a couple of these. We're going to meet people where they are, how they are. That's what these guys did. They met him where he was, how he was. They began to carry him. Number two, I believe that we're going to live for others. We have to actually meet, meet, meet people, meet others where they are. And then we have to carry others. We're going to be a church that realizes God gives us strength, not for status, but for service. Our society is obsessed with using their gifts and spending it all on themselves. I don't know what it is, but I've done it my whole life, most of my life, I should say, when I was growing up, is every dollar I got that I earned, I would immediately try to spend it on myself as fast as I could. And the weirdest thing happens when you spend all of your money and your time on yourself, you can never quite get everything that you desire. There's always this level of just, ah, it just doesn't quite feel like I just need more stuff. But it is weird. You ever met someone that's like mature? I'm trying to pray for me. I'm, I'm almost there. But we'll take their birthday money and be like, look, instead of giving it to me, you know, let's donate it to this charitable cause. And I'm like, they're real Christians. Lord, help me. But you ever met people like this? They're so obsessed with others. And it's weird that they live in this space of just perpetual, like, contentment. I have all that I need. I remember working at a grocery store and uh, when I was going through Bible college and there was a clerk, uh, one of the ladies working at the register, and there was a story that circulated because there was a mom that came in and got all of her groceries, ran through, and she, she scanned all the groceries, and then the, the lady realized that she didn't have her wallet on her, and she lived like 30 miles away. And uh, the, the lady at the cash register took her card out of her purse because she was having a panic attack, and she swipe the, the groceries and pay for it. She said, I'll take care of it. And the lady said, I promise I'll pay you back. She's like, yeah, I, I believe you. But even if you don't, even if you don't, it's, it's okay. And I remember someone in the break room afterwards said, man, weren't you scared that she wouldn't come back? She did come back and pay her back. She goes, weren't you scared that she wouldn't come back? And she said, you know, I realized that even if she didn't, I have enough food in my house this week that I'll be okay. I don't know who you are in here, but I just felt like just just throwing this idea out there that there's something about living for other people that it activates joy and contentment in your life that you'll never find by trying to appease yourself. Matthew, Matthew 16, 25 says, if you try to find your life by yourself, you end up losing it. (laughs) But if you kind of get lost helping other people and loving God, you find this quality of life that's not found anywhere else. 
And I love this because I think our generation thinks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to develop my skills, I'm going to develop my talents, and I'm going to spend all of it on myself to make myself rich, famous, prominent, influential, and then I'll be happy. If money, notoriety, being well-known, being powerful made you happy, Disneyland would no longer be the happiest place on earth. Hollywood would be. But we know the dirty little secret here, don't we? That those things don't fulfill you. Because you write this down, means can never give you meaning. Means can express meaning, but never give meaning. And we have a generation that's trying to attain means because they think that means give meaning. And as the great scholar Jim Carrey said, I wish everyone got rich and famous so they realize this doesn't make you happy. I believe that, that God gives us strength, not so that we can beat our chest and say, look at me. But God gives you strong legs and strong backs to carry people that have no feeling. And we're going to be a church that realizes God's going to give us strength. I believe that the gifts of God are gifts. And they're not for you. They're for others. Christians get weirder. They're like, I'm a prophet for me. I'm amazing. I'm an evangelist. I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a apostle. I'm a. And it's weird when we think that the gifts of God were given to make your name better. I want you to catch this. God gives spiritual gifts to make his name better. And all the gifts that you have, guess what? They were never given just to make your life better. Did you know that? God gives you gifts to actually help the world around you become larger. He actually empowers you so you can actually carry people that have no filling in their own legs. These four guys make a decision that not only are we going to meet this guy where he's at, we're going to carry him to wherever Jesus is. I believe the strength that God gives us is to carry people into the presence of God. And maybe you never carry someone physically in the church, but maybe you carry them in, there in prayer. I talked to a lady first service. She says, I've been praying for my husband who's never wanted to go to church our entire marriage. He grew up Catholic, and I'm just going to paraphrase this, but basically was dropped by the harshness and by, the, by, by being shamed by all the things that he did wrong growing up. And he goes, look, I don't want, this is church, this is religion. I want nothing to do with it. So his wife and him get married, and she's like, we should go to church. We're having babies. Let's bring our kids to church. No, never. And she said this. She goes, so I just, I was asking my friend that goes to Ocean's Church what I should do. And she said, you should pray for him. She's like, okay, I'll try it. So she started praying for her husband. And then she got a flyer in the mail, she said. And she goes, I prayed, and then I put the flyer on the refrigerator. She's like, a week and a half ago, he said, you know, we should probably go check out this church. Let's go check, let's check out the church. I believe that maybe you don't carry someone physically into an atmosphere, but I do believe that when you go behind the scenes and you call on God for somebody else's name, not just your own, I actually believe that God honors those prayers and actually carries people into environments. You see, I think the problem is we quit on people prematurely. And that's my next point. I believe we're going to live for others as a community. We have to quit on, we have to quit, we have to quit quitting on quitters. <laughs> my favorite points today. We're going to quit quitting on quitters. How many are grateful that God didn't quit on Paul? Anybody. Anybody grateful that God didn't give up on Peter? Oh, you're going to deny me three times in front of a rooster, in front of a teenage girl? Peace. Can you imagine what the Bible would look like if God quit on imperfect people? Abraham, your wife was doubting, man. Noah, come on, dude. You're getting drunk after the flood. Like, really? Can you imagine if God gave up on people that weren't perfect? Now, we'd all be in trouble, right? And so I believe that we're going to be a community like these four guys. Go, look, dude, there's some people that have never had feelings spiritually, but we're never going to quit on those people. Last night we were in here, we prayed the last 10 days at 6 p.m. every night in this room. We prayed over all of Orange County. And we prayed big prayers, not little prayers. We prayed prayers like, God, use our church to make it difficult for people in Orange County not to know you. We prayed prayers like, God, let, let the crime rate decrease because of the presence of your people here in this room. Let marriage rates succeed at a higher level, at a higher level and divorce rates plummet because of the health of a, of a healthy church in this valley. And I believe that God honors because we're going to be a community that's going to quit quitting on quitters. We're going to believe in all people. 
I believe that hiding inside of every Saul of Tarsus is an Apostle Paul. And if you love somebody long enough, perpetually enough, you can, I believe this. I used to tell people in Boise State, I said, my dream is that even the hardest hearts would get softened and eventually come to our church and experience Jesus because we just wear them down. And I tell them the story all the time. I say, my dream is, is that literally the hardest cases on campus would literally be so irritated that 14 different people in different parts of the city invited them to the same exact church. That they finally just said, God, if you are real, maybe this is the sign. That the guy in my first period class said, you got to come check this out. And the guy in my second period class goes, hey, can I pray for you? I go to this church. And the guy in the third period class says, Here, here's some money for lunch. I want to bless you. I go to this church. God told me to give it to you. And I thought, man, what would it look like if people were worn down by people that didn't quit on people that looked like we should quit on? We're going to quit quitting on quitters. Can I get a good amen? I'm convinced of this. Give God a hand clap if you believe that there's a Paul inside of every terrorist named Saul. Convinced of it. And I'm, I'm actually, I read so many studies about this, but people usually become what the closest people in their lives believe they can become. Teachers tell us this all the time. My, my father-in-law was a principal for years. He said, I learned a secret from the very beginning of my, my teaching career that the students would become what I believed and said they could become. I read another study that said that they actually did this, this random test at a high school level, a charter school, that they actually took these teachers uh, before the school year started and said, we wanted you to know that we've selected, we've selected one, or maybe it was, it was two, of the most gifted kids in the grade, and we assigned them to you for the school year because you're the gifted teacher that we believe is going to help them go on and get better, better you know, uh, scholarships and opportunities. So we've selected two of the most gifted, talented kids in the class to be, to be your personal responsibility. And then they went to the students and they said, hey, we selected a teacher, a special, the best teacher in the school, to actually be your personal mentor and instructor for the year. And the crazy thing was, is at the end of the year, all of the students that they did this for performed 30 times better. 30% better. Not quite as good. <laughs> I want to be honest. 30% better than the rest of the class. 30% better. And at the end of the school year, they were celebrating the achievement of this, and they actually let him in on the experiment. They said, hey, we just want you to know that um, they performed 30% better. And they said, well, they should. They're the most gifted kid in the class. And they said, no, they weren't. They were randomly selected. And then the student goes, well, I should perform 30% better because I had the best teacher in the school. And they said, no, you didn't. He was randomly selected. But what happened is, is they both believed. Are you hearing me today? They both believed what they could become. And we're going to be a community that sees, come on, the diamond. I've learned this, that most great plants have some dirt between the fruit and the seeds. And most of the time what we do is we see dirt and we're like, oh, that's dirty people, dirty situation, no hope. But I'm telling you that underneath all dirt is some seeds usually. And we like to brag about fruit, but I'm telling you that, that there's no fruit that's not connected to some dirt. Years ago, I got offended at God. I'm like, God, why in the world? Why would you make us out of such a dirty material? But think about this. God could have made us out of silver, gold, jewels. Why in the world in Genesis chapter you know, 1, why, why, why does God make us out of the dust of the earth, the, the dirt? Men are made out of dirt. Women are made out of the ribs of dirt. You're refined dirt. Like, I was offended at this, and I realized that dirt actually, we shouldn't look at it as a dirty, negative thing. I think dirty things are actually awesome because it's only in the dirt that seeds can foster growth. Seeds can't grow in metal. Seeds can't grow in jewels. The only substance on the earth that God can raise up great plants and great fruit is dirty substance. I don't know, I'm preaching better than you're talking back to me today. That's all right, I still love you. Leave me out here by myself. I believe that we're going to quit quitting on quitters. And number four, we're going to be a community that's for others, that we're actually going to break through for other people. See, we're not going to quit on people because these guys could have said, we tried, we, uh, we picked them up, we carried them to the church service, but it was full, we couldn't get in, and, you know, it's packed, we're in the overflow. And they could have just said, like, you know, we tried. 
And they could have went back and just dropped them off at home that say, hey, bro, we'll just pray for you, but, you know, maybe next time. But I love the fact that these guys did not take no for an answer. And they're like, we're going to find another way. I, th- I, see a, I see a community of people here in Orange County that are so smart, because you guys are like some of the smartest people I've ever met. I'm like, Jade, I was, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so smart I've ever met. It's crazy that, that it's such a well-educated region, but it's, it's wild to me that we look at this, this, uh, this criteria here, and they, they literally could have just said, we tried. But I, I see people in Orange County, even in our church, that aren't just content with just giving it one shot. Um, I think when it pertains to, to miracles, I think as it pertains to believing God for great things, we're not going to be people that just try one time. I want to be a community, a church that says we're going to keep on knocking on the door until something opens up. We're going to keep on hunting until we find something. And we're going to keep on searching until we, we identify where it's at. This is the type of community we're going to be. And these guys did not take no for an answer, but they quit quitting on, uh, on quitters. And they, and they actually climbed up onto a roof with their, with their strong back, strong legs. They pulled someone that couldn't feel for themselves onto a roof. And guess what? Roofs always represent lids. You ever heard, ever heard someone use the phrase? Oh, man, we hit a ceiling in our business. We hit a ceiling in our marriage. Man, we hit the roof, right? Man, we're like in a tough spot right now with our marriage, our finances. We're at just, even in churches, they're like, man, we hit a lid. There's like, man, we can't get past 50 people in our church. We hit a ceiling. Ceilings always represent limitations. Let's say it another way, impossibilities. We don't know what I love about these four other guys is they didn't see it the same way everybody else did. They saw a limitation and an impossibility, and they said, there's still a way. For instance, I could ask you today, if your kids were locked inside of the house, and you know that something was dangerous, maybe a fire or something, and you walked over and you said, okay, there's a fire in the house, my kids are inside, but I tried to get them, but the door was locked. Hello, church. I heard a mom out there like, oh, no, you didn't. I'm telling you right now, how many of you are like, look, if the door is locked, there's another way. Come on, your kid's inside. The windows are, oh, the windows aren't, you can't break them? They're shatterproof windows? Oh, there's still another way. You better believe, I'll get a sawzall. I'll get a, I'll get a sledgehammer. I'll get my car. Believe it. Come on. I would lock up my car. I would drive through my garage. I, there is nothing on the earth that would keep me from getting my kids. And I wish there was more Christians that didn't just go, well, there's limitations. And you know what's crazy? At the end of Mark chapter 2, the Pharisees, it was interesting, it was flipped. Back then, they had more faith for physical miracles than they did for spiritual forgiveness. That's why Jesus goes, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to rise up, grab your mat, and walk? But because they saw him heal every person at Peter's mother's house, mother-in-law's house, and because they saw Jesus open up blind eyes, and open up deaf ears, and do physical miracles. The religious people were like, oh, he could probably do some miracles. But who is he to say he could forgive sins? That's a lid. That's a limitation. But today, we're like, oh, yeah, God forgives your sin. Of course he does. Praise the Lord. See you at Christmas and Easter. (laughs) Jesus forgives sin, but the moment you say God can heal you. No, he can't. No. No, there's no singing in the North Pole. No, there's no healing in church. There's no miracle. He forgives, but he can't heal people. That No, that's, dude, look, you, you better stop that. That's a little bit. You can't get in there. That room's locked. There's no access to God there. I'm telling you, where there is a will, I believe. Listen, we do not fabricate waves of God's movements, but you better believe that we learn how to catch them. And when we see a wave coming of the supernatural, you better believe we can paddle our little hearts out until we position ourselves to catch the wave that God brings in. We do not fabricate miracles, but you better believe that we can position ourselves when his presence comes into a room. I promise you. So we'll be a church that breaks through for other people. They saw a lid, they saw a limitation, and they didn't go, all right, we tried, but there's just no way in. They had a desperation like it was their own kid in a burning house. And I'm convinced that the people that are like, you need to stop preaching about miracles, Mark, and not talk about God healing people, they're the ones that don't have spouses that are sick with cancer. 
They're the ones that don't have kids that are going through a medical condition that's life-altering. I tell you the truth. When it hits close to home in your family, you want to go to a church like Ocean's Church. Because we're the ones that don't fight fair. Are you following me right now? I grew up in the Antelope Valley, somebody. We did not fight fair in the AV. Like, yeah, you want to fight after school, meet me here. You better believe all my brothers are coming. You better believe. We're like, we ain't, I'm not going down. And we're going to be a church. If you, if, come on, I'm, this is the church you want to go to when needing a miracle. We're the church that says, oh, you need a miracle? Oh, yeah, you're, you're perfect position for God to move. Come on, come on in. We get excited when people need miracles here. Are you hearing me? And I just think that many times we're like, most Christians are like, well, that's just, look, I don't think God does that anymore. I think that house is locked. And I just think there's got to be some people like, look, that might be true, but I think that he still does sometimes when people break through. I think there's people that are hungry enough to get in, pray, fast, seek God's face. I think he can still do it. Bank and copper, I'm almost finished. Are you still with me today? Is we're going to be a church that's for others by breaking through. Going to break through. I believe uh, one of the reasons some of you are like, man, I've never seen some people talk back in church before or sing songs that's like raise their hands. Oh, my gosh. So demonstrative. It's always funny how offended we are at church when we're demonstrative, but how nonchalant we are at sporting events. You painted your face. You got shoulder pads with spikes on them. You drank beer in a parking lot for like 14 hours for strangers. For a game, a game. I know we forget in America, but it's a game. <laughs> Remind everybody, okay? Your identity, okay, come on, hello. It's a game. Going to be depressed all year, they lost. It's a game. And the weird thing is, in 10 years, no one's going to remember. Who won the Super Bowl in 1984? One person might know in here. You know what the truth is? Like, we get more excited for moments of hype in, in, in sports stadiums than we do. And I just, I'll be honest, man, I think... If I was the devil, I would do that. If I was the devil, I would be like, hey, you want to support wells or trees or sports or this cause or hobby? Shout it from the rooftops. Anything you want to support, support it. But if you say anything about Jesus or church, shut up. Why do we live in a world that champions everything publicly and we're fine? But the moment you're like, I love Jesus, they're like, shut up. Whoa. Why is there more resistance when you stand for God than anything else? If I was the devil, I would do that. I'd be like, I would try to make the church as cold and sterile as I could. I would try to make it as, as the, the least amount of passion and energy as I could. If I was designing a, a structure for church and I was the devil, I would try to make everyone believe that you should only be excited about sports and entertainment. One missionary from, the, from overseas said that America doesn't have idols like we do, but their idols are the, the, the God of America is sports and the Prince of America is entertainment. You might not sacrifice animals, but we sacrifice a lot of things in the name of sports entertainment. And I'm not saying we can't love those things, but I'm just telling you, I think, forgive me, that the God that made you is worthy of a little bit more enthusiasm than just sitting in church like the cover girl for the Book of Lamentations. We almost done. I got a game to watch, preacher. I'm telling you that we're going to be a church that breaks through for other people. You know what praise does? It breaks through the ceiling. You know what preaching boldly does? It breaks through the ceiling. You know what prophetic environments do? It does. Do, do's. It does. It breaks through the ceiling. And I'm telling you that some of you here today are like, Mark, I don't need the breakthrough today. Maybe you don't. Maybe someone else does. And if we're going to be a church, I told the band this this morning. I said, don't just sing like you need God. Sing like everybody else does. Don't just, don't just get enough for you. Get some leftovers for somebody else. I always tell people that, that pregnant women have the greatest excuse on the earth to overeat. The greatest lie. The only reason men wish at times they were a woman is because they wish they could be pregnant for one reason. So you can eat as much as you want. Because you never get judged when you're pregnant. Come on. And you're just throwing down in the buffet. 16 plates of food. No one cares. I do it. What a slob. Never think a pregnant woman is a slob. You're like, look, because she says this, I'm not eating for one. I'm eating for two. 
You got a better line. It's not me. This isn't me. I'm not, I don't usually eat this much. It's the baby. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, sure. I think we should come to church so hungry that we realize we're not just singing to God for us. We're not praying to God just for us. I'm actually trying to get as much of God as I can get because I have a Monday through Saturday with people that are starving. And I need to overeat in this atmosphere, overpress through in this atmosphere for every single person that's hungry that's walking in. You know, every week that people walk in, they're like, I cried the whole service. Why? Because there's people in here that broke through before you showed up. The ceiling's already off the roof. We've already, come on, there's already access to Jesus in here. And it's because there's people in the room that know how to break through. That's a little bit over the top. I would rather have access than lack. I would rather have access than lack. We always apologize. <clears throat> Sorry, a little too excited. I would rather have a little bit of wildfire than no fire. I'll take wildfire over no fire any day of the week. I'd rather go to a church that goes a little bit long sometimes with the presence of God that ends on time every week with none of Jesus. I'm telling you, I've never seen a harvest without some weeds. There's always a few weeds in every harvest. And we want harvest without weeds. And we want power of God with no excess. And I'm telling you that at times we don't choose. We say, God, all the fire you have are none of the fire you have. And sometimes we're like, well, I just, I don't know. I want all of God that we can get. We're going to break through for others. And we're going to position others. Last thing we're going to do. If we're going to live for others as a community, we're going to position others to actually have an accurate sight view of Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to position others. So I ask you, Lord, in this church, like, man, let's, let's let God do something in us so real that when people see what's happening in our lives, it inspires them to want more of God. I think the worst PR in the world is Christians <laughs> for God. The number one reason why people don't like Jesus is not Jesus. Can we agree on this? I don't have a Jesus. You don't have a, like, look, you're like, I don't like Jesus. You, no, you probably, you, I, you probably never met him, okay, if we're being honest. I think you met someone that said they knew him, and they said that they act like he acts, and it's the power of association. And I think that you're, uh, you, you maybe, you never seen him accurately. And what we want to do at Ocean's Church, we sing songs every week, is we sing, it positions us to see him. And we teach the Bible in a way that I'm not teaching you about God. I'm, I'm sharing. Listen, God told me years ago, Mark, there's a lot of well-educated Christians that don't know me. We're not just an educated theological institution. There's a lot of people that know God's autobiography but have never met the author. I read the autobiography of Kevin Costner. I've never met him. And that describes most of the church at times. That we know John 3.16 and we know Philippians 4.13 and we know Ephesians 3.20. We can cite scriptures and Proverbs 18 and verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and takes favor from the Lord. We know scriptures. But we don't know the God of the scriptures. And I'm telling you that when you don't know the spirit of the scriptures, you can get mean-spirited. Get judgmental, critical. We want to position people in Ocean's Church, in this community. To have an accurate picture of life. Look, we love the scriptures, but we know the God that wrote them. We know the Holy Spirit that leads us in them. We know the God that enlightens our path, awakens our, awakens our mind. So what's easier? Is it easier for God to forgive your sins or is it easier for him to heal you? My contention is it's the same. Simple answer, it's the same. It's just as easy for God to forgive you of all your sins as it is for him to forgive you of all your health, health issues. And it's just, are you following me today? It's just as easy for him to set you free from generational addictions as it is for him to say, you're forgiven, heal your tumor, heal your tummy ache. We always think, we think this is funny, we think like this, like God healing my tummy ache, it's like a little pebble, like just out of the river. Tummy ache healing. He just picks it up like this. You're healed. But we think of a tumor, we're like, oh, it's like a boulder. God's got to get a good hand on that. God's just kind of sizing it up in heaven. It'll lift with my legs, I think. Um, Michael, you got my weight belt over there? My workout gloves? Getting ready to pick up a tumor. This thing's heavy. 
It's like a boulder. Cancer? Oh. It's got iron in the boulder. It's granite. People take marble for granite sometimes, too. And so uh, they uh, grab this. And so they, they literally they, they grab this. I want you to listen. Very simple theological thought. Nothing is hard. And if nothing is hard for God, nothing is easy. It's not easy. Follow me. You're thinking about human beings. Yeah, stuff's easy, stuff's hard for us. It's all the same for God. Which is easier, forgiving sin or healing bodies? It's a trick question, Jesus? Nope. It's the same. That's why I could say your, your sins are forgiven, paralyzed man. But how about let's do this instead. Arise, grab your mat, walk out of here. Because for me, healing is no different than forgiveness. Psalms 103, forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases. Problem is, we read the Bible, we think that God commanded us to pray for, pray for healing. He didn't, he didn't tell us to pray for healing. He said, to, he said to heal the sick. He didn't command us to pray for it. He commanded us to do it. Heal the sick. Lay hands on the sick. Pray that they would recover. Heal. Heal the sick. You're here today. I'm just telling you that whether you need forgiveness and you want filling, and I'm, gonna, I'm done. If you've never felt the, the presence of God, known the love of God, or you read the autobiography, but you've never met the author personally. You don't have the spirit of the author. I said it before, but you'll never play the piano like Beethoven unless you have the spirit of Beethoven. You'll never write poetry like Shakespeare unless you have the spirit of Shakespeare. And you'll actually never do the exploits of Jesus unless you have the spirit of Jesus. I believe that getting filled with the spirit of the autobiography is what helps you to write the same literature that he wrote. Are you following me today? So we're going to be a community that's for others. Are you with me today? It's risky, but it's worth the risk. Come on. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.